You're listening to Partnernomics Podcast, where we discuss the art and science of developing successful strategic partnerships. To learn more about the suite of Partnernomics solutions, visit Partnernomics.com. So today we are joined by Mr. Andre. Mr. Andre is uh, joining us from the other side of the globe over in Switzerland. And Andre comes to us by way of Google. And so Andre is, man, he's involved in some really cool stuff. We are... Uh, We've had a couple different interesting chats over the months and uh, the most recent just a few minutes ago before we hit record. But uh, Andre, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me, Mark. It's a real pleasure to be here. So Andre, you and I had a chance to, to connect, I don't know, a few months back. And uh, man, it's always fun to, to connect with folks that um, that have found us either through the, through the website or through the book or things like that. But man, you are involved in some really cool stuff for Google. If you don't mind, I'd love to just have you share your story of how you entered the workforce and uh, how you've entered this place, this seat that you're in with partnerships. Absolutely. Absolutely. Would love to. Once again, first of all, thanks for having me. It's, uh, as you said, you know, connecting through your book. I wasn't necessarily expecting to be here today when I started reading it, but it's been a tremendous influence for me and a real pleasure to be here now talking to you directly and the rest of our listeners. Talking about my story, it's a little bit long-winded. I'll try to keep it short and simple and short and sweet. I joined Google just about 10 years ago and doing something entirely different. Started off uh, joining it in in Dublin, working for a team called uh, Trust and Safety, working on some really fascinating aspects of how people try to game the system and trying to understand how to deal with that from the from the inside and then i drifted sort of within that role i drifted towards working more and more with the community and more and more with external partners trying to first of all first and foremost educate people and uh, explain how to how to do the right thing for the users for their users for our users for everybody's users for everybody's benefit eventually and also getting engaged more and more with industry partners to collaborate on safety and security initiatives. And that kind of drove me to understanding that this is an area where my real passion lay. And so about four and a half, five years ago, I uh, started looking for an opportunity to dive deeper into that without necessarily leaving Google, because I still, uh, and I still am digging the culture. And uh, at that point I was, you know, not really looking uh, that much outside, still not. Still, there's still things here that I really enjoy about the company. And so I had the opportunity to while staying with the company, start doing something entirely different. Uh, we have a um, big team, a reasonably big team here at Google, actually compared to some of our sales teams, it's uh, tiny, but it's generally uh, a few hundred people globally of folks across all sorts of products from uh, paid to free and from really hyper-local to completely global that deal with partnerships and that create partnerships with suppliers of information, but also with the developers and other companies in the industry that drive technology forward. And I had the, the luck, I should say, over the last few years to get into the line of work that got me working on web and Chrome partnerships, working with companies and organizations globally on really defining what web as a platform looks like and what it means for the world, how it serves Google's mission of organizing the world's information, making it universally accessible. Sort of trying to get to the bottom of what does that really mean and how do we put that into, how do we make that uh, vision a reality together? So 
Andrea, I want to kind of deal, dig into, because it sounds like, you know, a lot of what your career has been is kind of in, in similar paths of mine where I've spent the bulk of my time working in technology and technology partnerships and those sorts of distribution partnerships, whether it's content or information. Um, I want to I kind of dig into working with product development groups. And you know what is what does it typically look like whenever um, you know different groups come to Andre and Andre's team, and uh, you know you're working on Chrome specifically. What is what is a kind of a project or an initiative? What does that look like as you're kicking that off? There's many different ways this can happen, and I think there's. At Google, there's a very strong engineering culture and a lot of solutions are born out of ideas that are driven by technology and possible solutions, always user focused, always focused on the needs of what our end users might need or like, or might not even know that they might need or like until they see it. And yet recently, I think I've seen also a desire to ensure that this innovation comes conscious of the impact that it has on the rest of the players in the ecosystem. So generally speaking, when we work with product teams, it's a very strong collaboration where, let's say, a desire or a need that has been recognized is then reconciled with the realities of the market and the drives and the limitations, and therefore also the modifications that a project ne product needs to receive in order to be successful, not just with the users, but with those who bring it to the users together with us. And I must say, I'm really privileged and really blessed to be in a position where we have frank and robust conversations with product teams across a whole range of uh, areas on the web platform about how things are done right now, how they need to evolve, and uh, what feedback we actually get once we put them out there. It's really, it's really invigorating, and it's me not not being, you know, not being a product developer myself. I think it still feels the feels tremendously feels tremendously uplifting to be to, to be able to have the sort of uh, influence and impact on that. Yeah. Andre, I want to do a deep dive with you and really dig into strategic partnerships. And uh, you know, this is really kind of the core that we try to go after at Partnernomics is to really define what that word means and then also to help business leaders understand how to get in that lane because there's so much value to be had there. But uh, I, I will also say that it's, it's probably one of the most overused words uh, in, in business, in profession is strategic and also partnering and partnerships. Oh, but, tell me about it. <laughs> the, the core there is innovation, right? It's innovation with the intent to, to create this competitive advantage, but it's, it's really about innovation. And so partnerships at their core and strategic partnerships is leveraging the knowledge, capabilities, assets of other organizations to create this paradigm shift. And it only comes through innovation. So Google now is, has had a really strong reputation. And frankly, I would say one of the few organizations that is, has been able to sustain innovation. What does it look like inside of Google? And I mean, what, what is different? What makes that possible? It's harder for me to say how, what makes it different from other organizations that don't have that much experience with them, other than 
the outside look that I get into some of the partner organizations that I work with. But I do agree with you that, well, I, it's not surprising that I would agree with you since it seems to be more, more or less a direct quote from the book that I enjoyed so much, that strategic in partnerships must really be about the creation of unique value. And, a comp- and if you like it, we can call it a competitive advantage if we're talking about competition, but generally speaking, of, uh, to me, it's the aspect of uniqueness of this new thing that is being created that is critical here. You can, you can partner with someone to dig a trench. That trench could also be unique in some ways, but generally speaking, that's just you and somebody else working together side by side until you get tired and sick of it and, and, or, or the trench is done. Or you can partner with someone to fly to the moon. And that is, that's where the S in the strategic comes in, I think. That's, where that's, that's what makes an entire difference. Inside Google, the, our ability to sustain innovation, I think, has come from probably various sources. And I might and I'm not probably able to identify them all, but the ones that stand out for me are still a dedication for the mission, which I named before, and a big belief in it. And I think it flows naturally that when you aim so high as having an impact at a global scale, you necessarily involve other entities and organizations in your work and therefore have to constantly learn and relearn how to engage and interact with them. And this could be for-profit, non-for-profit, governmental, non-governmental bodies. And they all have a different kind of impact on you as an organization, as a company, and you constantly learn and relearn how to deal with them as part of fulfilling your mission. And so that, that works out, I think, to some, to some extent in some areas. And you know that not all of Google products have survived, I suppose. Some of them would be then examples of where this hasn't worked out. The ones that are more successful and that are more sustainable, like the browser that I'm privileged to work on, Chrome, plus other products like Google Maps, of course, Search can be forgotten, and many others that are used by billions of users worldwide, they probably have hit something right in this space, in being, in being really high aiming with the mission and then being respectful of those alongside you who who are the who make this the accomplishment of this mission possible. And then the other thing I think is also to not shy away from the ideas of and principles of open source. Now clearly not all of Google's products are open source. Not all of them are developed in an open source framework, but some are. And in particular, then closer to home for me, looking at the web platform and Chromium, which I don't know if how many of our listeners today are aware of the fact that Chrome as a browser is built on top of an open source platform, also developed by Google, but not by Google alone. Right? For example, right now, other companies like Microsoft and many others globally are contributing to the development of this underlying browser engine, as it's called, on top of which many other browsers are built. Again, Chrome, but also Edge by Microsoft and many others. And therefore, the belief in the need to drive platform level innovation in collaboration with a wide community of peers enables you to stay on top, to stay sort of on your toes, to stay alert, to be both conscious of the need to continuously look for your own unique proposition, but also not to be afraid to derive the uniqueness and the value that we discussed from the partnership and from the collaboration that you build with others. I think those those for me are the are the key here. Andre, a couple of things that you said there that uh, jumped out of me. Number one is you know of course not all of your your new products that you've launched have been successful, and I think that's great. 
if, if the hit rate is 100%, I think we're doing something wrong, right? We got to be willing to, to push out and to push the edge, push the envelope where we will have some failures. But that's a part of innovation. If we're doing innovation correctly, I believe we're going to have some failures, but those failures become learning points for us. But the second thing that, that you've mentioned a couple of different times that, that I'd love to hit on, because I think it is not appreciated to the extent that it needs to, and that is the mission. I mean, you, you said specifically uh, Google's mission, uh, the first piece of that being to, to organize the world's information. Talk to, right. me, talk to me a little bit about the importance, and this gets a little bit philosophical, but talk to me about the importance of understanding your organization's mission, being aligned with your organization's mission, and really feeling attachment, you know, personal emotional attachment to that. Is that a requirement? Is that an imperative? Is that what you look for for other teammates that are, that are jumping on your partnering team? That's a really great question, in particular because it can lead us down two avenues. One, discussing what are the requirements to be successful and happy at your workplace, but also how does this apply to partner selection and ecosystem work? Because just to preempt myself a little bit, I'll say that what you just called out there, and we could ask the same questions about the partner selection process. And I think you touch on this quite nicely in partnernomics, where you talk about the value alignment being a critical part of the partner adjustment and sort of partner selection and partner creation process. Talking about the position and the perspective of an employee or a team member, I think I would, I hesitate to say that it's a requirement. I hesitate to say that you cannot be successful or happy in your work unless you entirely have drunk the entire vat of Kool-Aid and just sort of baptize your children in it. However, I feel that if you find ways to derive, to align your own values with the values and mission of the organization that you participate in, if you find yourself surrounded by people sharing those values, it is certainly easier. I am a big fan of the Ikigai concept of approach to personal fulfillment. And we're not going to dive too deeply into that, and people can look it up separately. We also can leave uh, show notes and some links in there. But it's all about combining, in a nutshell, fairly pretty much, doing what you like, being paid for it, and feeling like it has an impact. And you're going to always have everything. Sometimes you just do what you like and never get paid for it, and sometimes you just get paid for doing stuff you don't particularly like. But the more of those pieces of the puzzle, puzzle you can join together, the higher the satisfaction you will derive from your day-to-day -day life. And clearly, and here I'm the last person to say that this is the only place from which you can derive satisfaction in life, but it's an important element of it and you might as well try if you can. So I would say definitely being attuned to the mission of the organization that you're part of, feeling that you're surrounded by people that are attuned to it as well. It helps you also, I'll tell you why, another reason why it's important. It creates a tremendous foundation of trust within the organization because if you believe that you share a common set of values with the people around you it's much easier for you to look past mistakes to assume best intent and you know implement all the best practices that we know of uh, in terms of building relationships clearly this foundation makes certain things easier 
And then I want to touch upon very quickly about on the on what role it displays in um, in building partnerships and uh, developing ecosystems within within which you operate. I found that interestingly enough, in my experience, again, this is my experience, of course, but in my experience, I found people reluctant to accept at face value. Forgive their, you know, the, the repetition, but for, take at face value the values that you profess to have, and therefore often look for a hidden underlying motive to your actions. And it takes repeated, consistent behavior and shows of faith and delivery of results and delivery of also of behaviors and delivery of approaches to convince your potential partners and your existing partners that you're genuine in your beliefs and your values and you're genuine in your aspirations. Once you have that conviction achieved, the partnerships can really flourish because then people around you, they buy in into why you're committed to the course of action that you're undertaking and they're much more likely to stand by you in that course. It's, if I'm maybe permitted to quote another uh, good friend of ours interested in similar areas of uh, exploration, Simon Sinek. It, people don't buy what you do. They buy why you do it. And therefore, you really need to stand by why you're doing something for people around you, not just to buy it as a product of yours, but also to buy into what you're doing and start doing it with you, you know, digging that proverbial trench of yours if you want to make it into something strategic and interesting. It almost seems that the, the default approach a lot of times in global business is to chase money. And so we almost need to develop this relationship, develop this trust that we're in it for the, the personal conviction to provide value. It's not to chase money because chasing money can always wane. It can always change. It can always move. And that's a moving target. And people as humans, we, we like things to be predictable. And if we can show that, that we're truly after value creation, we value relationships, we, that is the core of what partnerships are all about. So I, I, I could not agree more. It must be. It must be. It can be differently, Mark, because as much as I, you know, I, I appreciate money as much as the next person, I value and I'm grateful for the lifestyle that I have. And I'm very, very conscious, especially these days, of the tremendous gap that exists between the lifestyles that we enjoy. And I mean, when I say we, it's you and me for sure, and probably the vast majority of the listeners of our podcast, but hopefully not everybody, right? Hopefully there's a lot of people that we can help elevate and lift here as well. That gap, it's a constant, that's a, if it was a constant, this is a constant presence in my mind as a constant responsibility that I bear. And that makes me even more aware of the fact that you can like having a certain level of material wealth, either as an individual or as a corporation, as an organization, is A, insufficient, and B, is fickle. Because you always expose yourself, as you said, to the changes of that fortune and money just moving elsewhere. What is consistent, and hopefully, you know what, you started by saying that a lot of uh, folks, have, a lot of corporations and organizations are focused on uh, value, on deriving value expressed in monetary terms. I think we're blessed recently with seeing a shift away from it. I see more and more corporations 
uphold and promote the ethical values, whatever they might be in terms of how they source materials or how they package them or how they engage with their customer base. And positioning that as the main, if you like, competitive advantage. And I really, I, I, um, I derive hope from that. I think that there is a world filled with organizations of that nature will has a chance, has a you know chance to revert some of the mistakes we might have been prone to making over the past couple of well, I don't know, decades or hundred years in pursuing nothing but just immediate profits. I don't think we have to look any further than what Google has done over the last twenty years to really democratize information and to do a, a large amount of work to level the playing field. You know, I think today, now more than ever before, you can literally have a half a dozen people in the proverbial garage building a business. They can look like a billion dollar company today and act like a billion dollar company today, easier now more than at any other time in history, I believe. And I think a large part of that is to do to, you know, with the, the powerful tools that organizations like Google and others, that they are able to, to provide to, to organizations. Andre, I want to shift gears a little bit and talk, uh, uh, I mean, you're literally a half a world away from me right now. Um, let's talk a little bit about international partnerships and different regional cultures and what it's like to work with, with different people from around the world as we partner with them to build these platforms, these ecosystems, these solutions? Oh, that's a topic that's very close and dear to my heart. Thank you for bringing this up, Mark. Um, well, first of all, what is it, what, what it's like? It's incredibly enriching. It's incredibly enriching and stimulating. It feels like uh, a never-ending learning journey. If you're the kind of person, dear listener, who likes learning, throw yourself into an environment where you're able to interact with cultures other than your own. And cultures can mean can have all sorts of definitions. So, of course, the, the first one that comes up in this context is this uh, sort of national geographic definition where, you know, you have your English people and the French people and the stereotypes attached to the, all of that. But it's not just that. It's your background. It's a sociocultural background. It's your outlook on gender. It's your own definition of whatever it is that you belong to and what others belong to. And the more you mix and mingle with people from different walks of life and different origins, and the more open you are to those uh, interactions, the more you will see yourself growing exponentially as a professional, as a person, the more grounded you will be in uh, facing the fluidity of this world. Because you will have to, you'll be able to draw on experiences that are up to a point unlike your own, but then once you have sh shared them, become your own as well and make you and make you bigger and make you richer. I personally, to give an example, have recently begun working a lot more developing our partnerships and ecosystems in Africa. And it has always been a fascination of mine, understanding the role that Africa has to play in global history. And this, like, this is going to be a totally different podcast if we start talking about this, but I think most of our listeners are conscious of everything that comes attached with African legacy. It's way back from like early history all the way to recent episodes of slavery and colonialism and neocolonialism and everything that is going on right now, the cycles of poverty. And 
So there's a tremendous amount of responsibility there. But also there's an unending amount of humility once you discover truly the wealth of experience, knowledge, and potential that exists pretty much, I would say, therefore, in every corner of the world. You only have to look closely, and not even closely. It's not like it's well so hidden that you need to look close. You just need to pay attention and look in that direction to recognize what's there and start seeing solutions. And again, back to our continuous theme today, to the uniqueness, to look for, to start seeing unique ideas and unique avenues and unique ways of doing things because you are faced with people with different experiences, you're faced with people with different circumstances and a different way of approaching things that just completely uh, appends any sort of roadblocks or blind alleys that you might have been facing before just because you start exchanging with somebody who has a hasn't you know has a completely different initial uh, set of initial set of starting points than you do Andrew, i'd like to talk a little bit about uh you know this ecosystems we've used that word a lot in this podcast I'd like you to just chat a little bit about you know what does ecosystems mean to you and how how is working ecosystem partnerships different than say kind of a the, the more traditional one one to one partnership probably easier to to start answering the second part of that question clearly when you're working with a number of partners at the same time you're very conscious of the intricate web of interests and interrelated interwoven interests that they might have sometimes conflicting and you find yourself being to some extent, the arbiter, the arbiter is a bit of a lofty word, but in general, you, you find yourself conscious and very aware of the different interests that different elements of the ecosystem might have and uh, in need of being creative and in need of being empathetic and in need of being really open to try and find, uh, might I be forgiven for saying so, win, true win-win solutions for everybody who's part of it. it and again, I think this... It's probably there's a bit of combinatorics and mathematics involved in this way, where it's clear that finding a win-win approach to a one-to-one -one partnership is easier than when you have a one-to-couple or definitely a one-to-many, like you have in a real ecosystem. So that aspect is both fascinating, challenging, but also very rewarding because once you arrive there, again, you derive so much more from it and you, and you are able to derive both monetary value for sure, if that's what your organization is after, but definitely value in terms of upholding and coming closer to achieving your mission as well. And then that probably, with that preamble, it probably helps me define what I think of as an ecosystem. I think it's this interdip, it's, we probably would have been, would have done well to have some sort of a biological definition close at hand here, but it's probably akin to a, a biological ecosystem and uh, which when stable consists of multiple actors that interact in complex ways and clearly in the biosphere there's a fair amount of also of, of adversarial interactions we can choose to limit those we can choose to control those and maximize interactions that are non-adversarial to still achieve balance to achieve sustainable growth, which is, I think, you know, again, 
sometimes overused and sounds like a cliche, but that's what we need. We need growth today that can stay growth, not just tomorrow, but the day after, not just for us, but for people who come after us as well. And the, the way to do it, the only way to reasonably expect yourself to be able to accomplish that is by pooling resources with everybody else involved in this, because I don't believe it is possible for any one person and not even any one organization to be aware of all the facets and all the aspects of uh, what true sustainable development means. So ecosystems are about enabling that. Ecosystems are about being empathetic and humble. Ecosystems are about understanding your present role in it, being conscious of it and responsible for it, but also being open to it evolving over time as either new entrants come in or the circumstances change. Andre, one last question before we let you go, and that is, so if our, our business leaders, our executives that are out there, and let's say that they have traditionally in their business been very, you know, direct sales approach, and then maybe they have a channel stood up now where they're, they're having some, some partnering programs to help them with, with sales and, uh, you know, some, some co-marketing, maybe some technology, but they see this opportunity to, to move bigger, move more into the partnerships arena. What kind of advice would you give to those executives that are looking to really double down on partnerships and to, to really embrace ecosystems? And, and what, what do they need to do to just even understand how they currently fit into various ecosystems to really take advantage of the opportunities that's in front of them? Gosh, that's, um, you know, putting on me on the spot there at all. I, but out of all the possible approaches that we could take to, to answering this, to stay consistent with what we've been discussing, let's focus on mission and values. I think that's as a starting point, especially for someone who is uh, looking at this with a fresh set of eyes. It's probably the one thing that is the easiest for you to be conscious of. Because it's probably sometimes even difficult to conduct, you know, the classical SWOT analysis because it's, you know, it's taught in all the business schools. But when put on the spot, you don't necessarily always know what the strengths, weaknesses, and opportunities out there are, right? Never mind the threats, which can be very often hidden. Your values, though, and your, your mission, ideally, you have that defined, right? You, you might not, in which case you should probably go to, to the drawing board and figure something out. But very often you do because you know why you started doing some sort of business in the first place or why you got on, got into a particular organization in the first place. With that in mind, right, it is then much easier to imagine yourself in a space surrounded by other people and organizations dedicated to something similar and starting to imagine what sorts of organizations might those be. And that is that. Then, and then what could you do together that you couldn't do alone? What could you do together in the service of your mission? that alone you are either unable to achieve at all or will be only able to achieve in a very long, over a long time frame. So I would say understanding really well where you stand, first of all, in terms of your own mission and values. Secondly, what sort of space does that imply exist around you? Because of course you exist in multiple spaces at the same time, but what space is it that is relevant to the set of values, to this mission? will enable you to see much more clearly who your natural partners out there are. They surprisingly or unsurprisingly very often might be, and I'll give an example right now, I think it strikes me as, as interesting, might be traditionally perceived 
as ultra competitive and not an organization that you would naturally perceive as your partner, but they will be the ones who will drive your most tremendous growth if you align with them appropriately. And the example that I wanted to give just as, you know, to be as a good, as a good Harvard business case study to actually underpin what I'm trying to say here, my point with the, what I believe is to be a relevant example. So look at the example of Google and Microsoft both contributing to the development of the Chromium web platform. You would, you, you might, you, you might not, it depends on your knowledge of the industry, but you might think of Google and Microsoft as being highly competitive companies in it with the same or similar objectives, similar customer bases and so on. Of course, let's not get into the details of where this might be different. However, generally speaking, you would think of browser vendors as trying to outcompete each other for market share. And while that remains the case and while browsers do need to show the best site to the actual users. It's in recognizing that the ecosystem, the web platform ecosystem exists for everybody to succeed together on that opened up the opportunity for the two companies to collaborate. And the framework for this collaboration is complex. And of course you need to, depending on your line of business, you need to understand what are you prepared and what you're not prepared to do in terms of the framework. But once that framework has been defined to some degree of uh, confidence, to some degree of satisfaction from all sides, you can pull resources together in ways that you would never be able to imagine otherwise in different kind of partnerships. So don't be afraid, I would say. Don't be afraid to challenge your assumptions about friends and foes in the environment surrounding you. And if you go back to the first principles, driving your own business and your own organization in the first place, You'll find it much easier to find very natural allies and very natural niches and parts of the ecosystem where you will thrive and help the entire ecosystem thrive with you. Yeah, I love that. There's so many examples where competitors have partnered and really both achieved this massive multiplier effect. You have Daimler and Tesla. You have, uh, you mentioned Microsoft, but them also partnering with with Apple. And, um, you know, I think Steve Jobs famously said, you know, Microsoft does not have to lose in order for Apple to win. And then that's when they decided that they don't need to build all these applications. They could open, they could open that up so that mobile apps can be offered through their platform, through the iPhone, uh, that they don't have to create. And going from this controlling environment to more of this abundance uh, environment of, of allowing value to be created from all these different entities. Andre, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for sharing your insights. It'll be fun to watch you and the Chrome team continue to, to do your thing and build value on the platform. Thank you for what you do. Absolutely. And thank you, Mark, for doing what you do, bringing the good word out there. And I'll be uh, you know watching your progress with a lot of interest and passion as well. Thank you, sir. Have a great day. You too. Partnernomics podcast is brought to you by Partnernomics. Learn how to leverage the power of partnership. To listen to more episodes of Partnernomics podcast, visit partnernomics.com. <laughs>